So welcome, everybody. We want to welcome you here to the show. Uh, we're very pleased to be able to be joined here by debut author Jody Millman and her book, The Midnight Call. So, Jody, how are you doing? Good, good. It's so nice to talk to you. And, and we're talking on a very cool day. I mean, we're recording this on June 20th. Your book just launched on June 18th. Your launch party was tonight, so that's a very exciting time. So tell us about The Midnight Call. Well, the Midnight Call is about a pregnant attorney, Jessie Martin, and she unknowingly risks her love, her career, and her life to aid her mentor when he's accused of murdering a trespassing teen. And it's really kind of exciting because it's a story that is not a true story, but it is based upon a true story. So um, it's kind of interesting. It's based upon a story, that uh, a murder that occurred here in Poughkeepsie, New York, where I live, 1979, and similar to the Midnight Call, the true crime was committed by a popular teacher who, who really murdered a kid who was randomly trespassing through his yard late one night. So the actual incident was really kind of personal to me because I'd had this teacher when I was in junior high school. So it was really, um, I knew the victim, I knew all the attorneys involved, so it was a story that had haunted me for almost 50 years, if you can believe it or not. Because the murder, the, I had the teacher in 1969, the murder occurred in 1979, wow. and it took me until 2010 to finally do the, you know, to get it together enough to want to sit down and write a story and make it my own, based upon this little seedling of an idea of a teacher killing a student. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they took away corporal punishment, so this is a little on the extreme side. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the teacher that I'd had and the teacher in the book were very popular guys. I mean, they were they were the type of teacher who would go the extra mile. They would, if we we're, were in world history, he would dress up like Robert E. Lee or he'd dress up like Genghis Khan oh, okay. studying that part of history. If we were studying India, we'd have a huge Indian banquet. So, you know, the teacher that inspired me, to write this story was a guy who was a really, really popular guy. And then to all of a sudden, 10 years later, after I'd been in his class, to, for him to commit such a brutal crime, it was something that really haunted me. And so it was something that, you know, as I say, carried with me for a long time till I decided to sit down and write The Midnight Call. And, you know, that's something that's interesting that you brought up because you, you know, you weren't involved in the killing. You had, you know, you, you had no way involved or anything else, witness or whatsoever, but it still affected you in such a way and it kind of rocked the community. And so when you're having to kind of put that emotion from people in the community and how it kind of, you know, rocked that little area, how was that for you having to dive back in, you know, almost 40 years later to, you know, try to recapture what it was like in Poughkeepsie during that time? Well, it's interesting because recently the Poughkeepsie Journal honestly did a front-page article about my book. And they did nice. the article based upon the fact that, you know, there was that connection and that hook with this murder. And people here, it's still very, very raw, um, even all this time afterwards, because every two years, the teacher is allowed to petition to be released uh, from jail. Mm -hmm. So again, every two years, a story is stirred up in the paper. So, and, and the next time that he's able to petition for relief, release is in April 2020. So it's still a very raw subject. But on the other hand, that also stimulates people to say, hey, I want to read this book. 
because I know a little bit about this story, and I want to see what Jody has done with it and what fiction she's created and what world she's created out of a story that we know. Do you know what I mean? No. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and... <laughs> And when and when you're starting to sit down and kind of create and uh, and your background is in law, so yes, it's attorney. also something, of course, that you're very familiar with. So it's good that you know a lawyer is writing a legal thriller and always makes it that much more believable. Um, so when you're when you're kind of having to do you know the the things and, and there's a lot of law that can be dragged out and whatnot, but you kind of have to skip by those parts and always get to the juicy ones. How is it for you, you know, with your occupation to make sure that the things that you get in the book are still you know pretty legitimate, even if you have to kind of you know you got to kind of stretch the bounds like they do in medical thrillers because you got to got to keep the story going. Well, you know, it's interesting. I there are a couple things that I wanted to make sure I get right in this book. And some of them I knew and some of them I didn't know. Um, I wanted to make sure that I got the obstetrics right because Jessie is pregnant and I wanted to make sure that I was very accurate in portraying that. I wanted to make sure that I got the police procedure correct because obviously this is a novel that where someone gets arrested. I wanted to make sure that was done properly. I also wanted to make sure that the psychiatry was was correct. And I also wanted to make sure that the law was correct. And I've practiced law for many years, so, but, so I knew where to research and I knew what to do. And what I wanted to do was take that legal framework so that when people read it, they are getting a back, almost a back, uh, backstage tour of what it's actually like to prosecute a crime like this to be a prosecutor and also to be um, a criminal defense attorney. So, th- so when they walk away from this book, hopefully they'll learn a little bit about those areas. I know like, maybe when you read a book, you like to walk away saying, you know, I learned something from that. That's how I feel, and hopefully that's what I've done for the readers of The Midnight Call. You know, and the other thing that I always like to do, and I'm sure people might, is to kind of go and, and research now the case and kind of get a little bit more familiar with what happened back then. Well, you know, that's interesting because the, since the case is still a live case after almost 40 years, the court records are sealed. And I was fortunate because living in Poughkeepsie and knowing the crime and following it for so many years, I was able to get in those records before they were sealed. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, now if anybody wants to get information, they can get it on the Internet. But it's also, it, I was very, very fortunate to be able to, plan ahead, knowing that maybe someday I was going to write a novel and do my research based upon the actual court records. So tell us, who is Jessie Martin? Well, Jessie Martin is an up-and-coming attorney. She is an interesting gal because she's a corporate attorney. She has no background whatsoever in criminal law. And all of a sudden she finds herself sucked into let's say it's the, the case of the century, pretty much, when it comes to this little town of Poughkeepsie. Now, Jessie has also, you know, got some medical issues because she's pregnant, and so she's really conflicted about what to do when she gets this call from my protagonist, Terrence Butterfield, who is this teacher who's been her mentor, who's been her friend, her father's best friend, and has also been like an uncle to her all her life. So she, you know, she has to make a split-second decision when he calls and asks for help. And that's another, you know, another meaning of the midnight call. She's got to make that split decision. What is she going to do? Well, out of loyalty and love for Terrence, she realizes she has to help him. She has to protect him from the community. She has to protect him from um, 
people thinking that he's guilty before he's proven not guilty. And also she has to protect him from himself. On the other hand, she is an attorney. And as an attorney, like a light switch goes off. And she says, you know, I really have to help him. I have to do what I would do for any other client. So the question is, did he call her as a friend or did he call her as a, as a, because he was a client? And that's one of the main themes that goes through the goes through the book. Mm-hmm. So, so why did it, do you think it took you so long to, to really want to do it? Well, you know, life has a habit of getting in the way. You know, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a practice. I have two kids. You know, and it wasn't until 2010 that I also, I when I got my master's in English literature, and I thought that that would also help me understand how to write a novel, which it did. I mean, you know, when you're reading Shakespeare and Hemingway and all the great works of the canon, it really helps you see how a great novel is constructed. But it really, I mean, it was really a timing thing, having the time and opportunity. And also, I, uh, in the meantime, I was writing a Broadway guide called Seats New York. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but my uh-huh. father in 1998 published this wonderful guide to all the Broadway theaters and off-Broadway theaters called Seats oh. New York. And it was for Hal Leonard, which is a major music publishing company, as soon as it, Soon after it was released, my father unexpectedly passed away. And the book became a bestseller for Hal Leonard. And they contacted me and they said, look, you know, would you be interested in, you know, continuing this series? So from 1998 up until 2008, you know, for 10 years, I was involved in writing nonfiction, which is totally different than writing. Totally different. And so finally I said, you know, I've, I'm having fun with this nonfiction, but, my, but I really want to give fiction a shot. And that's how The Midnight Call was born. Yeah, you're not using your imagination a lot in nonfiction, are you? <laughs> no, you know, and especially when you're doing a guide, guidebook, yeah. which, you know, I had to hire graphic artists and photographers and writers and researchers. So I was basically an editor-in-chief, you know, so... Um, it's entirely different than sitting down and plotting and thinking about pacing and character development and vocabulary. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different animal. And, and then when you started thinking about pacing, did you want this to kind of be a fast read, or did you want it to be more of a suspenseful read? I wanted it to go quickly. I wanted okay. it to be a page-turner. And that's why I start the book with you know, the line where Terrence, the protagonist, says, I think I've killed someone. I mean, if that's not an opening line, I don't know what an opening line is. So I really wanted it to be a very fast-paced. And how how difficult was that to kind of keep that pace up? Because sometimes it can kind of almost get out of control and it can almost run you away and, and run away from the author a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think it's, that's a challenge that all authors face. You know, what is the best timing for that particular work? And this one, you know, as, as I've been making the joke lately that lawyers are not trained to be brief. So when I first wrote the manuscript, it was like 150,000 words. Mm, and, wow, that's a biggie. 
Yeah, so I worked with some editors, and they said, look, you really got to cut this down. You've got you to take it down to the skeleton. And I think working with other you know, writers, like in writing workshops and, writing, and working with other teachers, like Steve Barry. I, I attended a story structure course with oh, him. There you and go. With people like that, you know, they, they tell you the way it is, and you listen to them, and that really helped shape my novel. Yeah, that's the good thing when you go to, and like we talked a little off the air, uh, at Thriller Fest when you go to Craft Fest and you're able to go and do some of those classes and kind of understand how those things are because it just doesn't happen overnight. I mean, I think a lot of authors kind of start off more in a slower pace before they kind of build up to the faster one. Just because, I, you know, the, the faster one is, I think, a little more difficult to write and keep things together because uh, right. you can kind of lose, like, track of dates or things like that. And so, yeah, it, it makes it there's a lot more attention to detail in fast-paced books. Well, you know, it, it, Thriller Fest is one of the best um, workshops, symposiums, conferences I've ever been to, and I've been going there, you know, for almost 10 years now. And I really can tell you that I would not have been able to write this novel if it hadn't been for Thriller Fest or, and, and the Craft Fest portion of it. Because mm-hmm. as you say, you attend these little mini courses. They tell you, as you said, about pacing, about developing a, a villain, they tell you about um, the right kind of guns to use and knives to use. So you're, le- you're learning all of these skills that are necessary for thriller writing, and I can't speak highly of it enough, honestly. Mm-hmm. Now, did you go into this thinking that you were going to write a series with Jesse, or is this going to be just a standalone? Well, it's my intention to, that, it, that it's part of a series, and I like to call it the Queen City Series because Poughkeepsie, New York, where I live, and what I write about is the Queen City of the Hudson. And I wanted to create a community of characters that can continue to live on. And oddly enough, Poughkeepsie has, some, has had some really bizarre crimes. We've had everything from serial killers to... Um, there was recently a case where a woman and her fiancé were out kayaking the Hudson River, and she killed him by removing the plug from the kayak, and he drowned as What? Well. How do you even yeah. think of that? I, I'm telling you, you can't <laughs> make this stuff. When you're thinking about killing somebody, I'm going to take him out in a kayak and just pull the freaking plug on him. <laughs> well, first, first you've got to take him out and get life insurance on him to the tune of $250,000. Yeah. Wow. Then you've got to plot. You know. <laughs> then, you, then you pull the plug. Literally, you just pull the plug. Done. Pull the plug. Literally pull Ugh. the plug. But so oh my God. you can see that I, by building Jesse and some of my other characters, the, the ADA, Hal Samuels, and Jeremy Kaplan, who's the ruthless uh, criminal defense attorney, how these people are creating my community, and these people are just going to continue to live throughout these crimes. Yeah, that and... And that's a very cool kind of thing when you start seeing how your main character kind of progresses yes, from the beginning. It is. It's, all, it's, it's character development. Yeah. And each, each character goes on their own journey, and they're doing different things at different times. And that's what I think is kind of neat because in the Midnight Call, the story is told from three points of view. We, the story is certainly Jesse's. 
because she's the one that's really on this journey when her life starts to circle down the drain. But it's also told from the perspective of Hal Samuels, who's the ADA, and the criminal defense attorney, Jeremy Kaplan, because each person is, is in possession of facts and information about this crime that the other people don't know. So when you read the book, you're getting a 360-degree view of this crime and its aftermath and its effect on the community. Now, besides the, the three characters that you just mentioned, which, is, which one of those secondary characters was the most fun to kind of write? Which one kind of had that bigger voice than you might have thought they were going to when you first started out? Well, Jeremy has a really kind of wacky secretary, and her name is Maureen Esposito. And she kind of developed a very fun life of her own. She really, you know, she is the, um, uh, she, she has had a crack em. So I really <laughs> liked her. She was really a lot of fun. And is she based off of somebody real life? Um, well, my former legal secretary seems to think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is she asking for some royalty money? No, but it's funny. The character really is named after her. So, you know, she, she's uh, uh, She's taken that one all the way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure the line is, oh, my God, who are they going to get me to, who are they going to get to play me in the movie? <laughs> right, right. And did I really say that? Did I really do that? No, right. it's fiction, you know. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, one of the cool things, like, like you just did today, again, the book is called The Midnight Call, and it is out now. It came out June 18th. And when, the night that we're recording this uh, interview, you just had your book launch, so your debut book launch. So how was that go? Did, did it kind of, you know, I'm sure you kind of built yourself up to it, and did it kind of meet your expectations? Was it kind of what you thought, or was it like a little different? How was it for you? Well, you know, it really exceeded my expectations. Um, I was really lucky to have a really good group of family and friends. And, in fact, um, we had about, we had over 60 people standing room only, and they sold out the bookstore, which is Oblong Books in Rhinebeck, New York, sold out all the books and had to take orders. I that's mean, if cool. that's not a book launch, that's not a book launch. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a book missile. Yeah, it was really great. We had, we had a wonderful time, and we had food, and we laughed, and I talked about the book. It was, it was really wonderful. It was really, really great. I'm still and on you the signed line, them all, right? I'd say. Of course you signed them all. Of course. Of course I did. Of and course I told you anybody who ordered them if they couldn't, you know, I'd, I'd, they, they could just call me and I'll sign their books. I mean, they're, they're friends, they're family, they're the community. I'll, I'll do anything for them. Yeah, I mean, that bookstore is going to be, keep, you know, just going to have uh, autographed copies of your book all the time. Whenever you walk in, Jody, 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 you've got to sign a couple more copies. <laughs> I would hope so. I hope they keep, they keep it uh, up there in the window for a while. That would make me really happy. Now, how was the journey of getting published? Uh, was it a long one? Was it kind of painstaking for you, or was it uh, kind of smooth? Oh, it was extremely painstaking, I was, <laughs> really. I mean, which I think is a story for almost every writer. You know? A lot of uh, You know, I had written this book. It took me about three years to write the book, and I was looking for an agent. I was look, trying to get published, and it was really, I really felt like I hit a brick wall. So I put The Midnight Call on the back burner, and then I started my second book, um, which is also about a local crime here in Poughkeepsie. And then um, I was lucky enough to um, be picked up by an agent by the Loretta Barrett Books. 
agency by a wonderful woman named Laura Van Warmer. And she was my agent for about six months. This was back in 2015. And then she was in a really horrific automobile accident. And as a result, she retired from the publishing world, and there I was back at square one. So, you know, I said, uh, you know, the joke around my house is that, you know, I was just really to burn the manuscript and ready to go back to practicing law full time. And I decided to, you know, continue on with my second book and, you know, maybe someday I would do something with The Midnight Call. Then I happened to see an advertisement for a, a Twitter pitch contest. And it was with hashtag PitMad, and they have them a couple times a year. So I said, you know what, uh, what the heck, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to enter this Twitter pitch contest. So in 144 characters, this is last March, <coughs> a year March 2018, I pitched my book out into the Twitterverse. And sure enough, I was contacted by Immortal Works Publishing. And at first it was like, you know, I was really suspect. They said, okay, send us a few, a few chapters. I sent them a few chapters. They said, okay, we want to see the whole book. So I, brought them the whole, I sent them the whole book. And then it happened very quickly. Um, by May, they offered me a publishing contract, and here we are. A year and later, here we are. the and, book is out. And then you started going, oh, my God, now I've got to go market it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, that's not something that we learn a lot about no. as, uh, as, as, you know, writers. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Well, because the one thing is, is you'll hear one great story and somebody is like, oh, I sold Bala doing this. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And then you do it and you're like, yeah, I sold like 10% of what you did. So you just never know what's going to hit. You just don't know why. And that's why I think everybody throws darts at a dartboard and you know, you just you try one thing, you try another thing, you try another thing, and you just keep just doing doing what you can. Exactly. I think you have to be out there meeting people or having the opportunity to meet people, whether it's at you know bookstores or libraries or you know it's there's there's nothing that <coughs> can be exchanged for human contact and people meeting people. Um, <coughs> at least I, I'm you know, and I'm at the very early stages of this. I mean, the book is just out. So really my marketing, even though it started four or five months ago, I'm really in the throes of it and trying to figure it out, as you said. Yeah, because I, I always tell people, you know, writing the book is the easy part. Getting people to buy it, that's the hard part. Absolutely. And, you know, I really am fortunate because I made a decision early on that marketing wasn't something that I could do alone. So I contacted Merrill Moss Media and spoke with them, and they took me on as a client. And, you know, they've really been extremely helpful in getting the word out about my book. I mean, they've just done a wonderful job. And I'm going to be starting a book tour. Next week I go to Houston, I go to Arizona, I go to Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York. And, I mean, they've really helped a lot. And, and that's something that, <coughs> excuse me, I'm very fortunate to be able to do. Well, I got to say that's how I heard about it because I got the email from Deb at Merrill Moss and and she um uh let me know. I think it was Deb. Um yeah, and she it was Deb. And she was mm-hmm. yeah. And she kind of let me know and so I and I get a lot of emails and so I always have to go and I check things out and I want to see what's interesting and this was something that really intrigued me and I'm like, "Okay, well, I have to have Jody on and and to talk to you." So that so it worked. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it did work. It really, and I, you know, I, I thank you. You know, it's very nice that you're interested, and I hope yeah. that, uh, and I know people will be listening, and hopefully they'll be, you know, excited and interested about reading the book as well. And I mean, and that's about the only thing. You know, it, it's just about telling great stories. It's just about trying to hook the people in there and telling great stories, and and that's all you can do is just write the very best book you possibly can. That's right. That it is right. It's it's all about the stories and about people being invested in the characters, and wanting yeah, to go on that journey with them. Uh, yeah, and, and it's such a fun journey sometimes too, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It, it, and you know, you learn a lot about yourself as you're writing. And also, it's interesting because I'm an outliner. And, you know, what I'll okay. do, I guess because I'm an attorney, you know, I ever have to have everything laid out in black and white. But not on a legal pad. You didn't put on a legal no, pad, did you? I did on a legal pad. You did it on a legal pad. You were the quintessential lawyer. You wrote your outline on a legal pad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I That's did funny. transcribe it, though, onto my computer. Yes, I did. Okay. But, you know, you find as I found that as I was, you know, trying to write my book, based on the outline, that my characters wanted to go in different places. Right. So when did they start? A lot of times people, authors will always say it, it was probably, you know, like 100 pages in or whatever, and, and it's just like the characters just started talking, and so that's when it just started happening. When was it kind of for you that that started taking over where you kind of noticed you're, you're still putting the words on the page, but it was kind of really them telling you where they wanted to go? Yeah, I would say probably about the 100-page mark. Yeah, that's about right. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember specifically that I had a, one of my characters, Hal Samuels, walking down the street, and he, was he going to go left or was he going to go right? I had originally had him going right, but he told me he wanted to go left, and it took us an entirely different journey. Yeah, I know, because when I plotted stories, because I like to write short stories, and you know, and I do a lot of that stuff, and I'll think of my first idea, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of how I think it's going to go, and then I start doing it, and then all of a sudden, by the time it's done, I look back, and I'm like, well, that's like not even what I thought at the beginning of what was going to happen. <laughs> I have to give you credit. I cannot write a short story to save my life. I just can't. Oh, really? My, my hat is off to you. I can't think in such a short, concise story. I'm like, you know, I have to tell these big global tales, yeah. The kind of, kind of how I say a short story is this. There is probably, you know, like scenes, a scene in your book that is extremely emotional, extremely hard-hitting, and that's your short story. Now you just have to make it a little bigger, but that's it. It's not going to be a complete, you know, from beginning to end because you're going to miss a bunch of stuff, but mm -hmm. it's almost like, Guy comes in, da 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 da, kill somebody, and that's like the end of the short story. But what happens after is the novel and how it keeps going. Right, right. So right. yeah, it's slice of life, right? Is that how? Yeah. So so when you write a novel, you kind of are writing, you know, six, seven, eight short stories within the book, right? Because of how you're doing all those scenes. Right, right. You're stringing them together. Yeah. Right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And then if you want to do a novella and make it go a little longer, I mean, you know, like a Shawshank or The Body mm -hmm. or something like that, that Stephen King did, um, yeah, then you're kind of outside the normal four to 5,000 words of just getting a short story. You're kind of more into the eight to 9,000. Mm. Well, I ha my hat is off to you, John, on yeah, the short so. story. It's writing. fun. It's fun. <laughs> I just like to off. do things fast. I, I don't know if I have the attention span to write a, you know, 350 page. <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it takes a while. Everybody, you know, it, it, what do they say? It it's, it's, a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? It definitely is. So where's the best place? And I know you're going to be at Thriller Fest here uh, this mm-hmm. year because we just talked about that. Are you going to be at the debut author breakfast? I'm going to be at the debut author breakfast. Yes, I'm super excited about that. Yeah, yeah. That'll be that'll be fun. I just uh, we just interviewed three debut authors for the ITW show. Um, Jeff and I did, and then I interviewed another debut author, uh, Deborah Goodrich Royce, and for her book, and she's another debut author. So. I've gotten to talk to five of you, so I'm going to have to go in there and say hi to everybody because it's like I know you all now. Exactly. Well, you do know us. You spent time And I with think us. that's Saturday morning, right? Yeah, it is Saturday morning. I think crack of dawn about early, about 8 o'clock in the morning. Yep. You're going to have to go in there and get – it's got some pretty good – it's a nice little – it's a really great get-together. I mean, you yeah. get to see everybody there. Everybody kind of gives like the 30-second – I believe it's like the 30-second – kind of spiel or the minute of what they kind of do or what you got going on because they got to get through everybody and it's kind of cool they have you up on the stage and so everybody's looking at you <laughs> everybody's in below and you're all looking okay. at you so that's okay <laughs> yeah that's that's all part of it and are you doing any panels um no they said for the first year as a debut author they really don't put you on a panel but next okay. year i'll be eligible i've done the panels before because i know matt night and i did okay. one on um how to get published or my journey to publication but okay. um i think next year i'll be able to you know really kind of dig in and i'm looking forward to that i love thriller fest i love it i love it i love it and i think there's a there's an author signing for you guys right yeah the, the author signing i think is like 10 o'clock i think it's after yeah yeah, it's right after that. So it'll be great. I mean, it's a, a nice class of 2019. I'm looking forward to meeting all of my fellow uh, my fellow. That's writers. probably where I'll go in and meet everybody. I'll probably walk around and say hi when you guys are all there. Yeah. Well, that, that'll be my next – I'm going to Houston next week. And then nice. that'll be my next stop after, um, you know, after I come back from Houston. So I'm looking forward to that. So where's the best place for everyone to find out about more information on you, all your social media, website, everything like that? Well, my website is jodysusanmillman.com, and it's J-O-D-E, susanmillman.com. Facebook is Jody Susan Millman Author, and Instagram is at uh, Jody Millman Author. So um, I'm on all the platforms, and it's great because I've gotten to, to meet some really cool people on all those platforms. It's really it's fun. It, it, and you know, how, it, how lost sometimes do you get when you're in that uh, social media hyperspace? Well, you know, I, I technologically I get lost, and fortunately, <laughs> my son, who uh, my I have a, a son who's thirty, who's really into that stuff. So uh-huh. I've kind of I've passed the mantle on. Hey, Ben, can you go ahead and post this for me today? Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing exactly. With him. You know, it's it's great. It's really great, and um, you know, it's. Um, it's something that that I think authors, as you said before, you're learning a whole new way. First, you write the book. Now you got to market it. Absolutely, and this is kind of you know step one of going through, and then it gets easier as you go on, and and hopefully you have you know other great radio shows that you're talking to, and, and some good hosts, and really getting kind of into it. How many radio interviews have you done besides this one? Um, I've done about four or five of them. Okay. And then I've got quite a few lined up. So, and I'm going to be doing some television when I go oh, to nice. Connecticut and also out to Houston and Arizona. So, which is really great too. I'm and how were the other uh, interviews? Are they pretty good. Me? 
How are the other radio interviews? Oh, fun. One was a podcast with Wordslinger, which okay. is really kind of cool. Um, the others were, were fun, um, uh, and, like NPR-based radio. Okay. And, you know, gotcha. I, I, was, I was in broadcasting when I was, well, actually, I met my husband working at a radio station. So I oh. was a DJ on the air. So, I mean, I love broadcasting. I mean, you put me on the air, I can talk from now till kingdom come. But um, I just love being on the radio. We still have a lot of connections. As a result, we still have a lot of connections in radio. Yeah, and you know what? I miss DJs. Don't you? I know. I do. I, I got to tell you. It's, it's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, yeah, now you, I do. It's, it's all corporate and it's all satellite. And, you know, as much as we don't, as I don't mind the commercials, I still miss the personalities. I do. I miss it. I miss when DJs were able to kind of play whatever they really wanted and you really got a good eclectic group of songs that you could ever, you know, listen to. And, a, you know, and they have like a good show from maybe like 8 to 10. And you actually tune in to want to listen to it like a TV station now. You wanted to say, oh, you know, so-and-so is on the radio and blah, blah, and you want to hear what they have going on. But now, nothing. nothing. Yeah, you know, and that's, I was fortunate to be on the air during that era. Um, before, when we could play just pretty much what we wanted, it was like the late, it was the late 70s, and I mean, there was great music out. I mean, yeah. you, know, you name it, everybody from Van Halen to the, to the Eagles to, you know, Pink Floyd. So I was yeah. really on, I really had great music to play. And now, oh. you know, the music's not so hot anymore, you know? No, they're not, but... It's still good that we still got great authors to tell great stories because there's still a million and two million to four billion stories that can still be told. So that's great. Absolutely, absolutely, and hopefully, people will enjoy my stories and they'll want to come back for more. Yes. Well, Jody, we want to thank you so much for being on and joining and uh, uh, joining us here tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, the book is called The Midnight Call. It is out now. And you can find it on Amazon, get your Kindle, get your paperback copy, however you want to read it. And, again, J-O-D-E, Millman. So it's JodySusanMillman.com, J-O-D-E. Put that E in there. And, again, we want to thank you uh, for joining us, Jody. Have a wonderful time on the tour. We'll see you in New York in a couple weeks. Great. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure speaking to you. And thanks again for calling me. I appreciate it. All right. You have a great night. You too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.